From Glitch HQ on Riverside Avenue in sometimes raining, sometimes cold Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Martha McGarry, and I make nice games. I'm Steve McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. For this roundtable episode, our topics are version control, art direction, and console versus PC. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. So. So. Uh, GlitchCon happened. Yes. Um, yes. I mean, according to you, listener. <laughs> it's, and it was great. It must have been. <laughs> Remember all those cool things that happened, guys? You know, we made it out alive. It's, yes. all, it's the least, it's the most I can say. Right. <laughs> it, uh, we're recording this before GlitchCon. I'm sorry, I'm spoiling it. Guys. Clarification, police. Yes. <laughs> So I mean, uh, we're all excited for it. To, it's coming up for us. Yeah. But uh, I mean, is there? What do you have any predictions? Like, um, what crazy things are going to happen or catch fire? Like, um, oh, hopefully nothing on fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be bad. Well, then is it really a party? Uh, yeah. I mean, um, <laughs> got a point. Uh, yeah. Things in games can catch on fire. Sure. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> have red damage numbers popping out of them. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. It'll be fun. That's my prediction. Yeah. <laughs> I think I, I will like to, what I would like to be true mm-hmm. when you listener hear this is that we had a good time and that everyone who came to our talks like got something out of it. Yeah. I think that's, you know, you're always nervous that you're like, you're, you know, giving something that's valuable and I really hope that ends up being true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hope people liked our games. At I hope Minicane, people, uh, Oh yeah. Uh, which I guess uh, we haven't announced on previous episodes because it, before then it wasn't announced, but um, Fingence and Metro Nexus are going to be in Minicade. So you have played them all weekend by now, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a great time had by all. And you listened to us on stage. That's right. Because yes. <laughs> the live show must it probably also went great. Yes. <laughs> of course it did. We didn't get any of the calendar math wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that, that one hurts. We're going to move on to that thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about the feedback form. Yes. Because okay. it's the time of the episode to do that. Right. Nicegames.club slash feedback. Yeah. We really need it because we only have, we have, we have some responses and we really appreciate all those responses. But Yes. Thank fe- you. Thank you. Thank you yeah. for everyone yeah. who has filled it out. It's been really insightful to oh, hear yeah. all, all about what you think and what you find yes. interesting. Mm-hmm. It's so useful. It's so yeah. useful. To, and we are able to, as a result, adjust how our programming works because of that feedback. But yeah. if you would like to add to our feedback and maybe adjust how the um, show works, you can submit your feedback as well. Where? Uh, NiceGames.club slash feedback. Yeah. And it's, you know, <laughs> each one of those pieces that comes in, because there's still a few enough that we can spend some time reading them. Um, yeah. And that's why we continue to beg, like, please, you know, fill out the form. But each of those gives us something really interesting and valuable. Uh, but it's not just that. It's every tweet we get, um, every iTunes review. Yeah. Um, like, every little bit of, like, interaction we have with our, like, small but growing audience is incredible. It okay. means a lot to us. And we yeah. really appreciate everyone who's reached out to us. Yes. For any reason, even just to say, oh, hey, I finally listened to you guys. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and that's why we always encourage more of that. Um, we're accessible, so access us. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, let's get started. But first, we have a dog in the in the uh, room right now. Yeah, someone hey, get rid Icarus. of him quick. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, the glitch dog Icarus. He's very quiet, so you're not going to hear him. Probably uh, not. And I don't think we're going to so scare cute. him. He's a, he's a, yeah. <laughs> but he's right by Martha. So if Martha is a in a better mood this episode, you'll know why. <laughs> Best Speak, doge. Speaking of Martha, 
Yes. What's our first topic? First topic is version control. And if you were at GlitchCon, you would have learned a little bit about it in my hands-on workshop that I will have taught. Will have had done. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Man, tense. Um, Yeah. So uh, first I wanted to talk a little bit about what version control is and why people use it. So what is version control, Martha? And why would anybody use it? (laughs) (laughs) It's a way of backing up all your project and also um, a way to share it between uh, different people and merge together both, like if two people are working on the same uh, part of the project, that you can merge it together and not overwrite each other's work. Mm -hmm. Um, And that way two people can be working on something in totally separate places and not like... Like not like a Google Doc where you are seeing the changes each other's are, each other are doing and don't have to be online, and then you can come together and put it together and not worry about uh, messing everything up. Mm-hmm. That's like wiping out work that someone else has done. Yeah. So, which is extremely valuable. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> working as a team in a yeah. team, I know firsthand losing all the work you've done because of <laughs> merge conflicts and whatever else. Well, I know the other main benefit, the thing that I use it for as a single person team is Mm. uh, file history. Mm. Yes. Is, um, you know, I, when I work with art documents, I tend to just save new versions and I iterate and I have a whole system for that. But with code and an application that all put together, you can't really do that as much. So just having like snapshots uh, is incredibly valuable just for that alone. And it's only one little part of what's great about this system. Yeah. So there are a couple of different uh, popular version control systems. Um, the one that I use a lot and I really like is called Git. Um, and it works a little bit differently than some of the other ones like uh, SVN I've used before. Git works, uh, at the, it has what's called a repository. So that's where all the, all the backups of your code basically and, and your projects live. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's one on your computer and then you can also have one on a remote computer on a server or... Uh, someone else's computer or on a flash drive. We did that uh, on the train jam. <laughs> um, we had no Wi-Fi, so we couldn't like put it on a, a remote server. So mm-hmm. we passed a flash drive back and forth. And that was oh, our... Oh, interesting. And that's how you did polls. Yeah. Oh, that's oh, cool. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really cool. So, so yeah, so you have your... What you do is you work on your file. Mm. Like, say, you're working on a crab and you're coding... <laughs> An arm. Doesn't have to be a crab though, right? Doesn't have to be a crab. Okay, good. Could be any sort of thing in your game. Any sea creature. Any sea creature. <laughs> um, Git only works with sea creature based games. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, so like say you're you're working on a crab arm. Uh, and so you're you're working on it and you get it so that you will shoot out and grab something. Um, and so then what you do is you do this thing called staging it. So it tells, you tell Git basically, look at this file. Mm-hmm. This is, the, and the changes on this one. This is the, this is what I'm going to tell you to look at. Uh, and once you get all the files you want staged, then you do a commit. So that is the snapshot. That's when you put it up on the pedestal and the thing goes click and takes a picture of it. Yeah. Um, and then you push that commit to the remote repository mm-hmm. and then someone else who's working on another part of the crab arm which is the able to cut off another crab's arm yeah um and they've got all that that all done but they haven't gotten your changes yet so what they do is 
uh, they do the staging and then committing, and then they pull down, uh, they do what it's called a pull, and it pulls all the changes from the remote server, goes and, and then compares them to all, all the files on your computer. Uh-huh. So um, it goes, yep, line one is good, yep, line two is good, all the way down until it reaches a line of code that is different, and then it goes, oh, wait, what? Oh, this one's different in this one, and this one's different in this one. And if there are two lines that end up two different things, uh-huh. it will throw a merge conflict. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and those are the nasty things that we all those hate. Are bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but in the case where these are all time stamped, yes. Right? So um, if there's a case with something that's obviously newer, then you don't have any of the, you don't have to check every change, right? Right. Like yeah. manually, it, it will automate a lot of it for you. Yes. Mm-hmm. So override like it will it will automate like things that are perfectly compatible together. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to be like, oh yeah, don't worry like the color thing, yes, I want that. But if it's like, oh, you're both working on the same function, then it will be like, ah, which one do you want to keep? Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what what you can do is you can go into the code and it will show you like this is yours and the three lines that are yours or whatever and then this is theirs and you can go in and edit and say this I want to keep this one and I want to get rid of this other part mm-hmm. if that makes sense it's very hard to do uh, <laughs> talking I've realized it yeah, really for, needs a even for something which you do on the command line it's still something that is almost bet, best taught visually yes yeah. right so. So um, I'll post some things in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> well, by the time the show goes up, you'll have all your notes from your talk. It's true. I'll post my talk show notes in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was okay. So I, I find it really important to emphasize to the to the listener here that like certain verbs that you were using is the are the verbs that are used in like mm. uh, the UI for certain Git programs and things like that. Like uh, for Fingence, we use source, source, source tree. And uh, they use those terminologies like pull to grab other people's changes and like push to push your changes up to the repository and things like that. Um, I don't know if that's the case with, with when you do a uh, line code. Is that the case? Uh, it's, those are the commands, yeah. Those so are the commands. you, you oh, okay. do, mm-hmm. uh, um, on the command line, if you open up your computer's uh, how would you open it on Windows? It's run or something like that? Um, no, I just uh, use a command terminal or PowerShell. Yeah. Yeah, so. that. <laughs> uh, and um, you can type git pull and then git push. Oh, really? Yeah. Is it really that simple? It is. Well, the history of git is such that it's really, you know, it's, it was designed to keep track of changes in the Linux kernel. Oh, okay. And so it was designed to be simple and small hmm. and designed specifically for that purpose hmm. which is part of why as it grew and became more popular because nothing else was anything like it and could do anything as good as that the that's why some people don't like it it's because it is actually specialized but it works for everything ah. right yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah it comes from a command line universe like where it just assumes that's how you would do it okay um, huh interesting but Martha there are uh, uh, GUI applications yes GUI, will, GUI standing for graphical user interface. Right. So, <laughs> Which you will tentatively recommend to people who are too afraid of command line. Well, no, I think GUI tools are really great, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, like SourceTree, like what you use, uh, Stephen, yep. and, and you use too, Mark. I do. Uh, and um, a program I really like called Git Kraken. Too much fun. I, <laughs> <laughs> I've ranted about this before, but it is the best program. Um, 
Uh, and those are really cool because uh, I'm talking about like uh, the other thing Git does is branch so you can like like make a copy of the code and start making changes and not affect the, the stuff that works. Mm-hmm. Um, so it will show a little like graph, like graph uh, tree structure of how your project is going and all the commits and you can go back and click on a commit um, and see like all the changes that you made uh, in that commit, and it's really cool to see it visually. I when I'm using Git, I have a command line mostly to do all the stuff, but I do have my GUI open too to see, like, so I can track it visually. Ah, okay, mm-hmm. huh? And Git Kraken has that handy undo button, <laughs> which will work on commits and commands even if they, you didn't do them through Git Kraken. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's very nice. That's, that's something that's supposed to relax. Right, because Git keeps a record of every action mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. in the repository, not just of every file change. So you can have, uh, there is no uh, Git undo, but uh, Git Kraken can know the last thing you did and then reverse those changes and without you having to like remember what commands they were. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's the one thing. The lovely thing about Git is that it's so um, flexible and you can do so much stuff with it. And it's really powerful. Mm-hmm. But the other problem, with, like the flip side of that, is that it's very complicated. And if you make a mistake and don't know how to, like, you can get yourself stuck if you don't know. Like how to get yourself out of things, yeah. um, really quickly, like mm-hmm. instantly. It's very easy <laughs> to go down a certain path thinking it's a different path, and yeah. then you get stuck, have no idea what to do. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't help you in any way of do that, and then you just have to get Martha to help you. <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't Aww. have a Martha to help you, then I'm sorry. Well, yeah, yeah, look. <laughs> yeah, one thing that that gets people in trouble is. Um, Git is really good at files that are are code files, mm-hmm. um, and it sort of as well with graphics. Like it just keeps like it doesn't do much with like merge conflicts and stuff. It will just over like It'll overwrite a binary file. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like in Unity, if you're a Unity developer, um, you save stuff in scene in these things called scene files. Yeah, and they've that's like the visual stage where you like add all your little characters and watch stuff happen mm-hmm. um, and when you save those and there's a merge conflict like usually you could go into if it's a code file you could go in and be like oh yeah this is theirs this is mine and mix them together but it, it doesn't work that it way it doesn't work that way because it's all just numbers like yeah. you go and you're like is yeah. this yeah. the crab or is this <laughs> the background uh-huh. I don't know because it's just a series of numbers Yeah, it's, it's right. kind of weird how they structured it because they knew that people. I mean, they had to know that people were going to use version control for these things. So it's strange that they decided to structure it in such a way that you, it's not very source control um, friendly. Well, I think well, the story is they didn't know that. Oh, really? Because Unity started out really as a very small, it is a very small ambitions uh, okay. for single, you know, single user use, and then hmm. they just got to it when they got to it, and the architectural structure of it was such that it really, yeah, made. Some problems. Yeah. Well, and the and one of the reasons why they did scene files the way they did them is because in Unity, um, you can really easily rename files all the time, and that's okay. because the, all those numbers are what's keeping track of them. Yeah. Like this is file zero zero five, not uh, crab arm or whatever. So you mm-hmm. can rename stuff. The scene file will keep track of it no matter what you call it. Yeah. 
the downside of that is yeah. that <laughs> then yeah. it makes it really hard. Well, I, I can see how that can, like in, um, in certain design uh, uh, programs that use referenced files, so in a video editing program, um, or After Effects, which I use a lot for my work, would do motion graphics. It's dependent on a project file that references dozens of other files. Mm. And if you change the name of any of those on the file system, then you do have a lot of trouble. So I could totally see why that philosophy was really important for a similar kind of project-based uh, environment, which was to to abstract that away mm-hmm. so that it could handle that kind of adjustment. But then it creates issues because those are hidden from the, the user. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And when you have those merge conflicts, you cannot resolve them. The same way you can with the text document. Yeah. The way the way we deal with it in um, our team is that we we generally have our own separate scenes that we make tests and things on, mm-hmm. and we just adjust those when we need to. So, like, I have the uh, a parts test because I oftentimes work on the parts of engines. Um, I have a parts test scene where I just uh, mess with parts, on, or for a particular character, or making new augments or whatever. And then Lane has his own. He often works on the levels, and so he has a level test scene. And my brother does the UI, particularly in the shop, so he has a shop UI scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's how we organize it, and then it's it's really easy because you're the only person messing with that um, that scene most of the time. Yeah, it requires communi- team communication, mm-hmm. to, so you don't get in those headaches. And like what you're describing, that's I mean that seems to be canonical way of using um, a version control with Unity in a small team is to have your own little part that no one else touches. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then when you're ready to like put it into the main to the scenes. You all coordinate who is going to do that and when. Yeah. So there's no chance of of difficulty. Yeah, right? I was going to ask about that. Like, what? How, how do you start <laughs> using version control? That's, like, how do you set it up? Yeah, yeah. How do you? How do you? Uh, ooh, that dog. Acres. <laughs> 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 how do you? Uh, how do you begin? Like, with your team, how do you start setting it up, and how do you coordinate version control? Well. Uh, usually people start by like you want to start the repository when you're starting the project mm-hmm. um, because then you just want to have it so they can all go back all the way. Yeah. Uh, and um, there's this thing called uh, igno- uh, get ignore, get ignore. Yes. Um, which is super important, oh, especially yeah. for uh, unity projects because there's a bunch of stuff that your computer will be keeping track of like, Project versions and and things like that, but like, and and other your other teammates' projects will like computers will also be keeping track of that, but in their own way. And mm-hmm. so, like, if you try to merge them together, you'll get all these conflicts that like on files you didn't touch, right? Because the, it's just the computer keep track of things, um, and so you can ignore. All, you can tell Git, don't look at any of these files ever. <laughs> yeah, because you don't need to. <laughs> yeah, that's what getting more is very useful. Right, yes. certain types of metadata that are not compiled with the project. Right, they might have something to do with the development environment mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's true. No matter what you're using. So I my uh, uh, game is being done in an Eclipse uh, uh, environment, and so there are certain files there that I just don't want Git to look at because it doesn't matter. And it's just yeah, it's just extra data that's not useful. And if I am sharing with a project with another person, it's going to create tons of conflicts. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. and if you if you set up the repository without a git ignore and then add the git ignore, it won't like undo commits that you've like it won't ignore the files from previous commits. Yeah. So only re- ignore them going forward. Right. So yeah, 
Uh, so it's important to establish that early, I'm hearing. Yeah. No. Okay. <laughs> uh, like, I think there's something in Cloudbreaker that we didn't ignore fast enough because every That's single right. time I try to pull, every time I'm going to touch Cloudbreaker again, I just reclone the repository because I'm like, I, I don't even want to deal with this. <laughs> yeah. So, I didn't set that up right. I think that was the one who set it up. Yeah. Well, I didn't know anything at that time. <laughs> yeah. So how we... How we learned how to do it in Prime mm-hmm. is um, Prime's the code school I went to. Uh, the whole uh, class started working on one project, uh, and we each got a, a branch of it. Mm-hmm. And then every twenty minutes, we had to switch branches. And oh, oh wow. <laughs> okay, uh, <laughs> and like merge, like merge our branch with yeah. the, what they were doing. Yeah. Um, so we had to deal with a lot of merge conflicts. <laughs> Dang, yeah, for sure. <laughs> And it was really fun. <laughs> like if I could have a job where my job was to just handle Git merges, I would be a very happy person. <laughs> I actually love merge conflicts. <laughs> they make me feel very useful. <laughs> well, it's a specialized skill that almost nobody has. <laughs> so what's the first, what's step one? If you don't have any software set up, you don't know how to organize your project, what's the first thing you do? Well, you can go to... Git's website mm-hmm. and download Git. Mm-hmm. Um, it will set it up in the command line of your computer. And also, uh, if you want, you can download the Git's official GUI. Um, people have mixed reviews of that. Mm. Generally, people like to get a third party one like SourceTree or Git Kraken or something. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you mean Git or GitHub? Git has a Git for Windows GUI. Does it? Yeah. Okay. But. I don't know anyone who's used it. Yeah. <laughs> like it's one of the options you can check when you're downloading it from Yeah, Git. yeah. Because I know GitHub, which we can describe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, also has a, a GUI, but it really is me- meant if you're, u- if you're using GitHub to store your repository. Yes. Uh, Do you want to explain what GitHub is? Yeah, I can take a shot at it and you can tell me what I get wrong. <laughs> um, but no, uh, GitHub is, a lot of people feel it's synonymous with Git, which is sort of not correct. But uh, very much people tend to use it that way. So the a Git repository is just files somewhere, right? But uh, you know, Martha, you described this idea of you know local and remote, and that is something that you can. The remote can be anywhere, right? It can be on a flash drive, it can be whatever. But a lot of people put that remote on GitHub, which is just a free public hosting. Uh, for your code repositories, um, and uh, free in the sense that you, it needs to be open source. So um, you can you're going to do a, a premium plan that can you can close source your your repositories. Mm-hmm. But very frequently, people will put their code on GitHub, not just to use with Git, but also to share the code with other people. Okay. So you've probably if you have taken code samples for your projects, you've pr- you've probably been to GitHub to get them, <laughs> even though you don't use Git the software. So yeah. it's, it's interesting the intersection of that. Um, but GitHub is an incredibly popular place for people to store their remotes. It makes it, you know, it's cloud storage, basically, right? Yeah. Um, and then uh, Bitbucket is the other famous one that um, that I know we've used on a lot of our projects because you can, uh, it's not limited by, you can close it down, keep it private if you have a s- small team. Mm-hmm. So there's just different use cases for these different services, but they interact with Git uh, on your machine, and then it just becomes the, the remote repository. And you can have multiple remotes for each uh Project you work like for, for one project you have multiple remote repositories. Oh, so a push can simultaneously go to every registered uh, uh, remote. I, I don't know. I have to look into that. But you okay. can push to you can individually push to multiple ones. Oh, so, I didn't know that. So um, 
there's this thing I just taught Adia this actually. It's, oh. uh, it's um, when you're doing a push, which is push like getting your code down to the remote place you're putting it. Mm-hmm. Um, the command line is git push, and then the name of your remote, and then uh, the name of the branch on that remote that you're okay. pushing to. Okay. And normally people do git push origin master, and master is the master branch. Mm-hmm. And origin, people thought that was like people keep thinking that's a keyword. That's not a keyword. That's just a variable name. That uh, so a, a name. Just a name you give, you mm-hmm. can name it, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can have more than one defined thing. You can say, oh, when I say git push uh, production master, um, you can point production to like your um, GitHub. And then you could say, oh, I have a Heroku account. Heroku is like, um, it's kind of like uh, GitHub where it's, it holds your repository, okay. but it also deploys your repository. So if oh. you're like have a web app, yeah, yeah, um, it will make it work. <laughs> um, so like, so you could do git push Heroku master, or you know, and define multiple ones in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'd, on the train, I had git push flash drive master. <laughs> <laughs> cool, nice. So once you got that set up, like what is what's workflow like? How should what's responsible Git usage? Well, like we talked about, having everyone have their own scene file. Mm-hmm. If you're using Unity, yeah. um, that's really important. Um, and then, uh, what I like to do is, uh, like, if I'm working on a branch, um, I like to uh, merge my. So uh, when you're putting two branches together, that's called a merge. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. And um, I like to merge the ma- like what are, uh, the master branch back in into the into the branch I'm working on yeah. first, mm-hmm. and then and fix any conflicts there on my branch, mm-hmm. and then go to the master branch once I know it will work, and then pull the changes in from my branch. If that makes sense. Oh, sure. It's hard to say. Right, so basically, Audit, all the, all the trouble, all the com- complicated bits happens on your branch rather yes. than on master. Yeah, right. That makes sense. Right. Yeah, I think that's really important because what we try to do with Fingens is we try to make sure that uh, the the like when you're making changes to anything, you just branch off from the master and then you merge it back in once you're done. So like all of the um, when you have uh, if you if you're working on it and like like when you're making big changes and you want to make sure that this isn't really buggy or whatever or like you or it is going to be buggy and like it's a completely new thing if you branch off from it and uh, the next day you wanted to show it off to somebody you could just pull from the master and then just show it off in there and make a build off of that mm-hmm. and so you won't have any issues come, running down the line if you push everything up to the master. And you just recently were making a completely new character, and it turns out the entire game is broken <laughs> because of that. Um, <laughs> that has happened before. Uh, <laughs> Personal experience. Yeah. 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 Um, so, well, I don't. I don't know if we've ever. I don't think we've ever broken the entire game from. No, wait. Yeah, that's probably happened. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, keeping those separate branches lets you like. It, it lets you experiment for a while, yes. right, without interfering with other people's work, mm-hmm. right? Right. Um, and then you can, when you then when you merge it, when you you know when you try to get it to the master, you can undo whatever it doesn't work yeah. with it. But it lets yeah, it lets you work more without having to like constantly check in, right? Yeah, with uh, with the other teammates, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it allows mm-hmm. you to do work on your own without having to deal with 
other people for a little bit. <laughs> Ooh, that dog. Oh, poor Come here. Can you run another? Yeah. Aww. He's Aww. jumping around and trying to find his place in this in the clubhouse. Yeah. He wants to be on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, Martha, what's the best practice for like how often you commit, how often you push? Like, I know that you know that when I'm working on a art document or a video edit, I will just reflexively control save control save all the time every day or twice a day I'll, I'll I'll iterate a version or something and that's just like I'm constantly doing that mm-hmm. but you kind of can't be committing like 10 times a day like the same way like what's uh what what's too often what's not often enough when when is a good time to commit your changes that's a good question um generally when I I commit when I have so when you make a commit you have to write a little message mm-hmm. about yep. um what you've done. <laughs> uh, and some people get very lazy and just put commit and then yeah. send it off. Or <laughs> right. That's a restriction of Git itself. Mm-hmm. That you have. So there, are, uh, I know that source tree will let you just timestamp it. So you can just say like, I don't want to write anything. Just put the date on this. <laughs> oh, wow. um, which I think is a, a workaround for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But if you want it to be nice and readable for other people or for yourself, future self, um, you can write in like what you've done, and I generally commit when I have something significant that I can write in right, there. Right. So, like something like a function that I've written that's worked. Like generally, when something gets to a, a workable space, mm-hmm. then I'm like, if it gets to a point where I'm like, if I lost this, I would be very, very sad. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But when I, get, I have something that's that's uh, I can write a meaningful commit message about, mm-hmm. I usually commit it. Right, mm-hmm. and those commit messages matter not just uh, going forward, but going back. Yes. Right. If you need to undo anything, you need to know where you're going. <laughs> yeah. What, uh, in, in a describing it in a way that make, can make sense to you or your team. Mm-hmm. Right. Like uh, added uh, claw functionality. Yeah. Or um, time the timer works now, mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, and some people get, sometimes I get really like put snarky things in there. Like. Right. <laughs> well, I know during game jams uh, on day two, they tend to be just like, bleh. Yeah. yeah like, for sure. I broke the thing. It's not broke no more. Like, yeah. <laughs> it tends to be a reflection of your attitude. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was nice that when I worked at North Games, uh, like it's a good way to, to show your progress in, to like if you're employed somewhere too, mm-hmm. or, or just for yourself to look at the commits. Um, uh, my boss in North Game print, printed out all my commit messages that I've worked since I started working there and uh, just went through and was like, see, look, you are committing more often now, which means that you're like making meaning, meaningful bits of code oh, more sure. often mm. and that's showing growth and stuff like that. So. Right, so there's a psychological benefit to, to showing progress and, and being able to recall progress. Yeah. I know sometimes I'll work for like two weeks. I'm like, what did I even do? And I'll look back at what the state of my project was two weeks ago. I'm like, wow, I did a lot. But I don't remember it because I'm busy working on it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's just a way to mark progress, uh, not just for like, you know, for good code practice, but just for your own well-being. Yeah. In addition, you can use it to, if you write detailed enough co- uh, notes, you can use it to search through uh, to find things. Like maybe you did way back when, like I worked on a character and I wanted to figure out what the value I did on this character was when mm-hmm. I started. Uh, I could just search on Git and figure it out. Yeah, I have done that too. Where I will, I'll, um, bef- you know, before I think a lot of people can sympathize uh, relate to this before they start using version control. They to you want to like you comment a lot of code. 
that you're you're done with, but you might need later. So, yeah. so your your code will be just loaded with comments of just like things you don't want to get rid of yet. Yeah. Because you can't save as as easily as you can with other types of documents. Yeah. Um, but I have definitely found that if I do want to, did want to go back, I could look at old commits, and even in these GUIs, you can actually see you don't even ha- you don't have to revert. You can actually just take a look at the old documents yep. and, and just copy that code out of there if you need it again. Um, that has been so freeing because it makes you work faster, mm-hmm. it makes you less uh, less precious about what you're doing because you can just kind of power through and you can always come back to it. Yeah, and that's really great. It is just having a time machine. It makes it yeah, it makes it able. You able to have cleaner code because mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about comment like if it's going to be there later. You can just be like, "Oh, I have it in a commit." Yeah. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> and that really uh, just the way we've been talking about it. It's like the the unit uh, um, in Git is the commit. Yes. That is the sort of unit of measurement, right? Um, you know, even more so than the branch or the or the you know the actual changes in each document. The commit includes a moment in time, and it can be one document, it could be 40, it could be 100 binary files, it could be anything, right? And yeah. that, that can get you into trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the language, that's the language of Git then. Yeah. So what, what if people want to know more, they feel like, okay, I'm not a master yet, but <laughs> I'm getting there. What are, what are resources to, uh-huh. to, I don't know, get as good at it as you are? <laughs> Every get, time you say good. I know, I know. I'm hearing it too. <laughs> well... There's a lot of good courses on Code School about uh, Git. Mm-hmm. Um, going through Git, the Git website itself has a lot of mm-hmm. documentation about it. Um, Having had been at your talk would have yes. been great, right? Yes. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, some of you benefited from that. If only we had a glitch vault. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, right. Wouldn't that be great? Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll have someone in the future, in the past. Uh, recorded. <laughs> Maybe that will have had been done. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's been been a really technical thing. Let's let's go to something more <laughs> aesthetic, a little, a little softer topic, yeah. perhaps. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> so I want to talk about game art direction or style. Yeah, that is my topic for the evening. Uh, well, what is game art? Does the uh, the direction. I mean, like, it's the style in which your game looks. Like, for example, 8-bit or uh, cel-shaded, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious as to what, how you, should, how you should make that decision on what your game should look like. Mm. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how we decided on the, the idea for Fingence, but because we wanted it to be cartoony and stuff, we decided on a comic book aesthetic. My brother, I'm pretty sure, Charles McGregor, the perpetual student, um, <laughs> <laughs> he... Uh, I believe he came up with the idea, and we just ran with it. And, and the game looks great because of yeah, because of that. Yeah, sometimes these things can be formed just by like you start to doodle, and then sooner or later you have a style, and then mm-hmm. future decisions are are based against that. Other times, it's like it takes a lot of like iteration and workshopping, and like yeah. decision making, and 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 arguing if you yeah. have a team, um, and and trying it out and breaking it down. We talked a little bit about some uh, similar topics when we were talking about um, like uh, developer art. Ah yes. Oh, right? yeah. like, when, yep. you, when do you when do you commit to the style? And I, there's not really a right answer. I don't. I forget it, what our ruling on that was. But <laughs> <laughs> like with most of our topics, it's just like just try hard. Practice. Yeah. But for Metro Nexus, it was I had a direct inspiration. I wanted my game to have a an aesthetic that felt like public transit wayfinding, and so that. 
and then there's actually a particular uh, um, a book in particular that I, I used as a lot of inspiration, which was the um, the New York Transit Authority uh, design style guide, yeah. which is all the the, um, the the sort of classic subway signs you see in New York City. Um, that wasn't a direct uh, aesthetic inspiration, but it, as a system, it very much was the idea that like. Um, um, in my game, buttons sort of look like uh, signs, and they are um, 200 pixels, 400 pixels, or 800 pixels wide. So, because that is how the the, the, the when you had to go to a machine shop or a sign shop to make these things, mm-hmm. you had to choose the number of options that could fit all situations. Mm. And so, I've limited. I've my art style is very much defined by like a sort of a physicality in a oh, sense, even though it's very deliberately digital yeah um so uh, so those are kinds of things that are outside of aesthetics that can influence your style yeah I, that's something i didn't know about your game that's really cool hmm. yeah um what about you martha like how do you decide you're, you're working on your uh the, the point and click yes game. Uh, do you have an art style figured out for that yet uh yeah you do yeah. What is? It? <laughs> if well, you don't mind me asking, <laughs> paint us a picture. <laughs> I really am basing like my whole thought process about it was the games I played as a kid, the humongous adventure games, mm-hmm. um, which are kind of a cartoony style. Like like uh, Fingence reminds me so much of Spy Fox. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Like there's this little sub game that like you can play on his spy spy watch or whatever, mm-hmm. and it's very Fingence esque. <laughs> it's great. Um, but I also kind of like the idea of like having it very like kind of paper like cloth looking like okay. like um sort of patchworked patchworked together and and I don't know textured sure that's kind of I don't know I'm I'm still trying to figure it out okay but sounds like I have, have I idea. have a like I've got whole scenes in my head oh, okay. and what all the characters look like and everything. Cool. But like, I have a particular way of drawing and it's, I'm going to be the one drawing it. So mm-hmm. I think that, that's probably a, another way of like figuring <laughs> out <laughs> your art style is just yeah. whatever you can do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, I mean, you've analyzed what you're not just capable of, but like what you can produce at volume. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And, and then, yeah, you just work in those, those or, you know, you hire someone, mm-hmm. right? Like, I think there's lots of lot, considerations other than imagination that you need to take into account. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There are definitely game art. Like I feel like we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. Where like our game ideas. I think me and Mark both have a similar thing where they kind of start with what you want to look like. A little bit. I've had that for sure. Mm-hmm. And then there's times that I. I think mostly yes. But I, I and I. Oh, of course. Like exceptions. Well, it's yeah. funny. Those exceptions right. are the ones I remember the most because they're different from how I normally operate. Mm. Right? <laughs> but you're totally right. I wouldn't think to come up with an art style and then make the game, but hey, whatever works. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, back when I was making films, a lot of times the projects I had in mind came from a single image that I was thinking of, oh, okay. or or a scene, or just a single line of dialogue, and then it yeah. didn't. And then I built backwards from that. Like, how okay. would that make sense in a story? And then I would find something that a story that would make that would work for that. Ah, I see. And so I think a lot of people will, when they think of like how to create art, they kind of think like. Oh, you need this big idea that then you fill in the details. Like sometimes you can have really superficial details you're just attached to, yeah. and then you could build something important around it, something yeah. larger, more interesting. There isn't a wrong way to do it, but you do have to have like things have to flow from the last thing you thought of. It sort of has to. There needs to be a cohesiveness, I think, for yeah. it to to be successful and for you to be efficient. Right. Okay. We've, we've talked about that on the show in the mm-hmm. past. 
um, that is important. And now I, I see what you're saying. It's basically like having a main idea uh, for your game that you're building up. Yeah, actually, the, uh, even the language to describe it is very similar to like uh, how you de- design your mechanics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's okay. like, oh, I just want to design something where like there's like a double jump and then you like a ground pound. Like I'm just interested in that. <laughs> and then like there, you have nothing else. Well, if you are, if you like that, you can build out from there mm-hmm. into something much more interesting that may even not include that original idea or yeah. whatever. Um, but yeah, yeah. Well, uh, perhaps putting you on the spot here, but what what game can you think of offhand that that has a good art direction or style that you really enjoyed? I really like the other way Assassin's Creed. Really? Yeah, I think so. And maybe the earlier ones rather than the later ones. Okay. Um, they have this. This this. Uh, um, this kind of goes back to our UI discussion a little yeah. bit. But like the the um, aesthetic of the animus. Oh, okay. um, um, matched up against the sort of um, uh, a medieval worlds mm. of those first couple games. I think was it felt very directed. Felt very purposeful. I think later it started to just become so like. Like a, a spin on itself that it didn't make as much sense anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it just kind of has like, a, oh, it looks like an Assassin's Creed game. But those first couple ones felt kind of revelatory to me. Huh. Interesting. I would not. Well, I guess in terms of UI and stuff, I I would agree with you on that. But I wouldn't yeah. consider uh, Assassin's Creed to be a very appealing, at least to me. It's yeah. like I don't really like very realistic looking games in general. Oh, I see. Things yeah. like Watch Dogs or mm-hmm. uh, or Call of Duty and stuff. Like, right. I feel like they. It, they try too hard to look realistic, and it okay, just ends okay. up not being as cool as, like, say, Wind Waker, for example. Which sure, I sure. <laughs> I guess for Assassin's Creed, it's really about like um, in that first game, particularly when you're on the rooftops, like the architecture, which is based on real world places. But yeah. like the idea of a think like think, you know, close your eyes and think of a scene from Assassin's Creed, mm. and it's like the art style is just like, but mostly realistic style, right? But also in that first one, particularly, it's like it's a little foggy. It's a little gray, but there's a lot of reds. Mm-hmm. Like it actually does have more. It's a little more subtle, perhaps. Yeah. So it's not just the UI. I think there's a little more to it. But okay. you're right. Wind Waker is a great example. Yeah. Of like, that is something that is just that is a, those are choices that yes. we made. Oh man. Real distinct. I love Wind Waker because it just feels like uh, you're playing in not an art painting, but like a kind of like a comic book. Mm-hmm. Kind of feels like you're playing in a comic book. It's great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I just love how all the explosions look. You got the little swirls whenever, yeah. whenever when they explode and stuff. It's yeah. It's quite a Beautiful game, right? And that one extends to the animation as well. Mm-hmm. So of a piece with the the just the straight aesthetics of it. Yeah, Martha, you just watching Icarus do Icarus things. Um, sorry. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. It was a mistake to bring this dog in. <laughs> also, I might know the band that's downstairs ah. because there aren't very many Arabic music bands in. Ah. In Minnesota, anyway, um, <laughs> um, very distracted. What were you asking? Uh, Did you game, ask me something? I'm yes, sorry. It's okay. <laughs> Games uh, that have a good art style that you enjoyed. Watching. Oh, oh, so many. <laughs> I feel like I pick a lot of games based on what they look like. Oh, really? Um, well, the obvious one is Borderlands uh-huh. because I love Borderlands so much, <laughs> and most a lot of it has to do with the art. It's so um, interesting that that game changed art direction so suddenly. Yeah. And ended up working out much better as a result. It fits totally so much better. Mm-hmm. Like the game is really funny and like, yeah. but also ki- still kind of dark. Mm-hmm. And so it's got that like black humor, I guess, or whatever yeah, it's called. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, it's funny that we talk about like uh, in through the lens of art direction, because all I can think about is games we've already talked about on this show that I like for other reasons. 
So like, oh. which I mean, that's that says something. Like I'm yeah. thinking like Paper Mario is another great example mm-hmm. of something of a real distinct yeah. art style that is itself a spin on a on a established art style, right? Mm-hmm. The sort of Mario look. Yeah. Um, but has its own charm and 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 grace to it almost. Um, but that's not the only reason I love that game. But it's a, I guess maybe it's a big part of why I do, right? Yeah. Huh. I suppose so. Yeah, Paper Mario is really cool. And I love it when they just go all in on paper. Yeah. <laughs> Where like Paper, paper Mario can um, um, fold himself into a paper airplane and stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's just funny. Well, in the r- most recent one, like uh, one of the toads has a stamp on his back. Really? And he gets folded up and mailed. Like, it's <laughs> just great. Like, That's awesome. <laughs> oh, wow. That is wonderful. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it's why the Borderlands switch is so incredible because it happens so late in the process that. Usually these things work great when they tie into the mechanics and story, but it's not, you know, you can, you can do, you can do that at the last minute, you know, yeah. and still make it work so well yeah. as they did. Mm-hmm. What else, what other ones that I played recently that I really like? Well, I just finished Thimbleweed Park mm-hmm. and I really like that one yeah. too. That has a nice nostalgic feel to it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's very 8-bit, like old, old style. Yeah. Very deliberate. It looks like Maniac Mansion. Right. Yep. Yeah. Which is funny because, like, when we, when we played Day of the Tentacle, uh-huh. like, I love I that's that was my first big adventure game, and it was it's very much uh, uh, like Warner Brothers cartoony, and so the the slightly older games like that I have no nostalgia for. Mm. So Thim- Thimbleweed Park, I'm like, that just looks gross, like it just looks <laughs> ugly to me. But I'm like, oh right, it looks just like Maniac Mansion. I could see why people would love it. Yeah, and it's it's very distinct, and it's not it's not an accident that it looks like that. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, they definitely did that on purpose mm-hmm. just to uh, capture that. Um, that feel from the past. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what about games with bad art directions? Potential, they could even be potentially good games that have bad art directions, uh-huh. or at least, in your opinion, they're bad art directions. Civ <laughs> Six. Oh, so oh, you yeah. think so? Shots the fired. people, like the the rulers. Yeah. They made them all like their hands are really big and they're mm. like they just distorted parts of their bodies yeah okay like and they have like really skinny wrists and really skinny necks and it makes them look kind of bobbleheady oh and yeah there's also very comic s- quality to it yeah. but like uncanny valley comic like yeah. almost realistic but not mm-hmm. I don't like it <laughs> okay I, I can see that I really liked uh, I know you like Civ 5 better for other reasons but I like the sort of um, um, like uh a bronzed uh, styling of the, of Civ Five, like mm. that, that sort of Art Deco look. I really liked that a lot. And yeah. Civ Six just felt like different and like didn't have as much, didn't feel as uh, purposeful. I don't think. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> the dogs went for it. Yeah. Uh, I do like I do like the um, in Civ Six the map. Uh, mm. oh, I, sure. Even though I don't like necessarily the how contrasty it is mm-hmm. um, or not contrasty between the drawn look and the, and the, you haven't explored this. It gets very confusing. <laughs> That's like a um, three stage thing. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I do like, I do like the feel that like, Oh, I'm looking at a physical map. Like yeah, they really yeah. play that up. And I think that's really cool. But oh. I just wish they had gone that dire- like sketchy direction with the, with the characters too and not made them try to be these weird I don't know what they were trying to yeah, do yeah I guess that kind of speaks to the, the sort of unsureness I have about Civ 6 is it like a lot of interesting artistic ideas but it doesn't really hang all together mm. it's not really bad it's just yeah. it doesn't it yeah. doesn't achieve greatness the way it totally should have I suppose well maybe they should have just went all in on a direction instead of yeah. the next mishmash that I'm hearing from you guys yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Well, I think that's the, just the case with like with mechanics or story. It's like having a vision is yeah. important. Yeah. Which is, I mean, maybe that's not fair to them to say that it didn't, but it doesn't feel like as as much as previous. Oh, you know, okay. Perhaps. My the the game that I <laughs> wanted to talk about was uh, I'm probably going to catch some some heat on this, but Mass Effect. It just it's so well. First of all, everything it looks really grainy to me. Like it, and and it's not very colorful. Like when you're when you're going off in space and you're doing like a space epic thing, you would think that the environments would be like grand and massive and like beautiful but exotic looking. Um, but in Mass Effect, that is rarely the case. It's oftentimes just like generic looking backgrounds. Yeah, like they got the ice planet that just looks like an ice <laughs> planet, and then they got the moon. Which I mean, I guess you can't do ton with the moon, but I mean, still, uh, <laughs> there's just. There's just not a lot going on in any of the environments. Mm-hmm. Now, as opposed to like No Man's Sky, yeah. everything, every, I mean, despite what, what did they say? There are nine kajillion and two planets. Kajillion, I think, is the word okay. they used. Yeah. Kajillion, yes. Uh, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> it should be. Uh, <laughs> but like every, uh, all of the planets look exotic and unique and just different because they have all of these different color styles and different art pieces and everything. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot better than what Mass Effect did. Even even in the new one, Mass Effect Andromeda, sometimes they had those more um, interesting looking environments. But yeah, it, it, it isn't enough, I guess, for me. You know, it, Mass Effect is one where I think they did a good job of like of picking something and going with it. Yeah, but I, like, there's no accounting for taste. Like, it just, I, I, I it's a, it can feel a little bland sometimes. Yeah. Like, I'm kind of with you. I, I like parts of it, but okay. I think every. I can't really defend it as much because everything you're saying just sounds true to me. So yeah. I feel like. Yeah. Even though I don't dislike it the way you do, I'm like, no, you're pretty much right. <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Not to say that the game is bad. But. Mm-hmm. Well, as indie devs, we have the opportunity to like have put more of a stamp on our projects mm-hmm. than bigger projects do. Like, um, what Night in the Woods is a recent example of like <laughs> yeah. the really strong art style. Yeah, um, Undertale is another one. Also, that um, you just you can tell you know has a lot of. Um, a lot of thought is put into it. Feels like a Game Boy Advance game. Not a Game Boy Advance game. Uh, game Boy Color. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, that's a good example. Uh, did you give an example, Mark? I might have. What did you say? <laughs> Assassin's Creed. No, you said that was good. Oh, bad ones? Assassin's Creed bad, too. <laughs> oh, no. no. I've, I've, I've played that trick before. Uh. No. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's, it's the... I'm like Martha. I will pick a game because I think it looks cool. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, that might seem shallow, but I think that matters as much as other things. I mean, yeah. And there are games where I will not touch, and then I find out later they were masterpieces. Yeah. It's but, but it's it, it's hard for me to love them because I I I feel I, it needs to have holistic. It needs to have all of it for me. Mm. And so I don't have a lot of great examples because I don't really feel betrayed by many games <laughs> in that way. Because okay. I usually I usually never see them if I don't like them at first. Okay. You know. Well, that's a easy way to determine whether or not you'll want to try some. Yeah. I mean, actually, now that I say it out, like I guess one that I feel is sort of bland and boring is like all the uh, Grand Theft Auto games. Oh yeah. I feel like they have this kind of um, this sort of weird sort of sheen on them. Like I hate the logo so much. Mm. I think it's, it, it's, you know, it, I don't know. I, just like how uh, Apple computers have looked the same for 12 years. Yeah. And people still think that's hip. It's like, no, it was hip in 2006. <laughs> like it's just cool now because Apple's doing it. Mm. I feel like Grand Theft Auto is the same thing. It's like, they've kept that same dumb logo, that weird collage art cover art they do each time. Like all of their characters are like, it, 
it's supposed to look like a bad movie, yeah. and it just looks bad. Uh, like, <laughs> I don't but know. the city, I, eh. so realistic. I guess, I guess so. I guess so. But you know, I get well. I mean, like Stephen, you were saying when I was brought up Assassin's Creed, that surprised you because you didn't feel like it was a lot of direction yeah. in like a realistic world. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess maybe with Grand Theft Auto, it's kind of the same. Like it's it's just it's a really well made thing but then all the choices they do make like all their stupid uh like billboards that they think are clever and funny oh, it's like worse than south I, park co- character I jokes funny man I'm, I'm like really going off on this now <laughs> <laughs> quick change the topic yeah i think i think where i come uh, up against things is when um and granted as an example of this is mm. when they're so proud of themselves mm. <laughs> and it's just like that's when that's what really gets me i'm like you know that's you know do what you're gonna do and everyone and there's like there is no accounting for taste. Yeah, but like they're just they're too proud of themselves. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I guess I've never played a Grand Theft Auto game because the whole I, I, I um, the game doesn't really appeal to me. Sure. So I'm not, but I am familiar with like the billboards and stuff, and they oftentimes feel very uh, ham fisted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I mean, I guess is kind of what they're going for in the right, game, right. and so they went all in on it. But and yeah, it's a. Strange direction to go all in on, I suppose. <laughs> Whatever works. Um, I find myself really liking uh, cartoony-looking games yeah. yeah, a lot more than realistic-looking games. Mm-hmm. Like, I've played, uh, uh, well, I mean, Finjins, for example, is cartoony <laughs> and fun. Paper Mario, things like that. Uh, and I, I find myself wanting to play those games more than more realistic things mm-hmm. most of the time. Yeah, I would agree. Have uh, I uh, told you how much you would love Cuphead yet? Oh, I know. I'm really looking forward okay, to it. Okay, good. good. Yeah. I'm glad. I, and literally only because of the aesthetic cuz I don't the <laughs> gameplay is mainly all boss fights and it's like mm-hmm. I mean it's a it's a weird platform mm-hmm. shoot 'em up fix which is kind of interesting. Yeah. But I don't know much about the gameplay myself, but I'm solely interested in it largely because of the yeah, cartoony yeah. style. It's really I, great. I think it's going to be good and it got delayed I mm. think to, to get more substance in the game. Yeah. Um and so that I think it was a good sign. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah. When is this supposed to come out? I don't know. Now that I said a lot, maybe it's out. No, it's not out yet because <laughs> no, I would have known. <laughs> but that, yeah, that's something to look forward to. Yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah, those those kinds of things. Yeah, um, unique looking visuals. Like I don't actually like the way that. Um, oh dear, what's the the space game? I just talked about it. Not Mass no, Effect. No Man's Sky. No Man's Sky. Thank mm-hmm. you. Um, I don't really like. I don't actually like the way No Man's Sky looked because. Uh, I don't know what it is. I, I really like what they went or the direction they went because all of the planets look new and different from mm-hmm. Earth. Yeah. But the I guess the way that the colors interact with one another don't uh, it doesn't <laughs> look right to me. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But it still looks different. And maybe that's like the point. That's probably the point for a game as random as that game is. Yeah. It does have a distinct style all of its own, which mm-hmm. is that's a, that's an achievement. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, whether you really are into it or not, like you can recognize. Yep. Uh, how you know the care that it took yeah, to make sure. that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I want Cuphead so bad. What do you say we move on to our final topic? We should, uh, which is my topic. Uh, it's console versus PC, which I think is maybe a loaded phrase, <laughs> but I want to talk about it in perspective uh, from the perspective of a game dev. Uh-huh. Um, console versus PC. Fight. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but you know, I think um, I am a console gamer yes. generally, right? I grew up on the classic Nintendo. That's what games are to me. I've I played Myst and, and Quake, and I have a PC gaming history. But like, I have a pretty powerful machine at home that I use for my video work, and I don't have any games on it. <laughs> and I, it seems so silly. So as a gamer, 
I've only recently realized like how weird that relationship can be. Mm. Um, but as a developer, I mean, we are PC developers. We make games for computers, right. and um, just because that ha- we have better access yes. there. Um, and so I've sort of had to contend with what that you know I've had to learn more about what a PC gamer is, so I can mm. make a game for them mm-hmm. because I kind of I still sort of don't know. You know, like I'm not really on Steam, and I it's so sometimes I feel lost. Like you know, and you know, Stephen, you and I were making uh, four player multiplayer games, right? And I mean, we've ha- we've talked about it, but it's still weird to me that I I have to. Oh right, someone who might buy my game may own no game controllers. Yeah, and I, I have to account for that person. Yeah, not that I need to cater to them specifically, but I have to if they want to play my game. I need to give them something, you know, and yeah, right, and right. that's sort of that's that's difficult. So that's the main example. But what do you guys think? I mean, is this am I overthinking this? Perhaps like that? There's a, a big difference there. As a oh no, there's definitely a difference between uh, developing for a console and developing for a PC. Like mm-hmm. for example, if you're developing for uh, Xbox, you know that they have at least one controller, right? So you know you know what that controller is, and you know you can design the game around that. You mm-hmm. can design it based off of um, the Xbox One's. Uh, um, unique setup or whatever compared yeah. to like PS4 or even on PC where you have mm-hmm. a bajillion and two different controllers. Yeah. Gajillion. Uh-huh. That's the word they used. Word of the day. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Brought to you by. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely something you have to keep track of uh, if, you're, if you're developing on console but like it's, it's simplified I suppose in that way. It's hard yeah, to get yeah. on a console but if you are on console you know you only need to be concerned with this one yeah. specific thing and even if you have multiplayer it's much more likely for console gamers to have two or three controllers than it is for a PC gamer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And the, the, a lot of those technical concerns uh, there's still I think when you're getting down and actually getting your hands dirty and making yeah. your product that, yeah. those matter a lot. Mm-hmm. And but really, it's never been easier to make the same game for both. And, yeah, and so right. the real differences that concern me are are about um, the sort of the non tentacle stuff. The fact that like console gamers play on their couch in their living room. Mm. PC gamers sometimes do, but you know, so like in our games, like people have their PCs in their dens, and are they gonna have four pl- people in that room? Not just yeah. four controllers. That's sort of it's, uh, yeah. hard to write. You kind of just have to assume that you know what. My game will just go out to the people who can 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 make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have to decide. Yeah, and, and we don't really play test for that because when right. we do our play test sessions, we plug our PCs into televisions, and we just I don't know. Yeah. Well, there's uh, what's that book called? We've talked a little bit about it, and it's been kind of controversial. But the um, lenses of game design or uh-huh. something like that. Mm. Uh, we'll put it in, in the show notes. But no. um, there's some not great stuff in. In some of the chapters, but there's one one chapter that's been that's I think about a lot, where it's talking about the uh, like different um, different games working in different spaces on different mm-hmm. things, and he was talking about how consoles are kind of what have replaced the hearth is what he calls sure. it. So like a place where people go and sit together, mm-hmm. and then the PC is more like the workbench, like you go and you play. Mostly things by yourself, yeah. or or like mm. more games you can spend more time on and more focus. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting. I when I play on PC games, I often well depends on the game, but oftentimes I will play a console game by myself and play PC games with other people. Oh, interesting. You mean online? Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Like I'll because I, I I haven't played League of Legends in months, but when I did, <laughs> um, I mean I would gather with other people because. 
playing League of Legends by yourself is mm-hmm. oh so bad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, there still is a difference between yeah. being by yourself in an online situation and being around the hearth in a physical space with others. Right. I mean, maybe that's a really old-fashioned idea, but I still see that that, that description. Yeah, still I think yeah. I think it doesn't apply. Like, and and he was writing this before mm-hmm. there was. Like I don't know when that part of the book got written, yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, if the rise of mo- online multi- multiplayer was a thing, yeah. But yeah, I suppose. But like, when I when I'm playing League of Legends, I am, am in, intending to be social, and mm-hmm. I'm intending to play with other people, yeah. As opposed to a lot of times when I'm playing a console game, I intend to play by myself, and I don't want people interrupting me while I'm playing my game. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> well, a lot of the times, Tip, um, how yeah, to annoy could, Steven. <laughs> yeah, I guess I could see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's um, kind of switched. Almost. Yeah, it depends. I mean, obviously, it always depends on the game. But like, um, I often find myself not wanting to um, play multiplayer games on a uh, console just okay. because a lot of the. I mean, I okay, am also so we're not going to we're not going to play Mo- uh, Mario Kart Eight Deluxe together. Got nope, it. All right, we're doing it. <laughs> All right, <got> it. <laughs> no, no, we can play it. We can play. You said it, man. <laughs> Wait, doesn't that come out? Oh shoot, that thing does. It'll out. be out by this by the time this is out. Yeah, for sure. So we've been enjoying it for a little while now. We've all we all played it at GlitchCon. <laughs> it was fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, you're right. As of the recording of this, it's like two days away. I know. Uh, <laughs> okay, change of topic. <laughs> Mario Kart. No. Um, um, uh, shoot, not got track. Lost track. But, uh, <laughs> well, track, track, track. <laughs> uh, on, um, console games, uh, like I, I have a lot. I mean, I'm also a console gamer, like you, Mark. But mm-hmm. so I often buy most of my games on console because I don't want to deal with having to um, um, deal with. I don't have a good PC. I just have my laptop, and so I don't want to deal with all of the issues that arise from playing on PC because yeah. like, it can crash or it doesn't run well enough, so it's the, it's really slow or whatever. Um, you don't have to deal with that if you're playing on PS4, uh, <laughs> which is nice. And so I buy a lot of my games on there, and a lot of the games I'm interested in oftentimes are single-player games. And so I guess what really has happened is that it's um, the console game is just, or consoles are more accessible to me, and so I play a lot of the single-player games that I would play on the console. Mm-hmm. Um, and whereas a lot of my friends have at least a PC that can run League of Legends or whatever MMO at the time, um, and so I can play that with them huh. without having to, or on that, but like not everybody has a PlayStation 4, so I wouldn't be able to play right, right. a PlayStation 4 m- multiplayer game. With well, you're talking about like the, the power of a, of a, of a you know, PC required for certain types of games. League famously can run on a shoebox, right? <laughs> yeah. Like the, because a lot, a lot of those games are designed to be as broadly accessible as possible. Yeah. And as designers, as developers, like how do you target those things? You can you kind of just target what works on your laptop, right? Yeah. yeah. When you're working, <laughs> yeah. and then that's when you don't you know you don't have a, a like a QA or optimization team to really help you out <laughs> determine these things. But Unity gives you some tools, right? You can do uh, uh, different uh, texture qualities or resolutions and frame rates and stuff yeah, and yeah. set. Um, but uh, to me, uh, that that feels so uninteresting. Mm. I think as a developer, like I'm not excited about that. Like solving that, yeah. Um, I kind of just want to target something, and if that just means it means middle road PC slash whatever console, that's okay. Um, but I know that PC gamers very much want to. They buy their fancy machines so they can max out their settings. That well, yeah. And, and if you don't have a game that caters to that, then then um, well, yeah. That's, I mean, you, you have a 3D game that you know looks fine, looks okay, uh-huh. but a gamer who spent a lot of money on their PC wants to get some value out of your game right. and maybe they can't. Mm-hmm. So um, those audiences scare me because I don't know anything. <laughs> I just I can't relate 
uh, to that audience as much as I wish I could. Yeah, that those are those are that's the kind of like thing that is confusing to me a lot of times. I feel like with PC games and PC gamers, they oftentimes will buy machines specifically for the power, mm-hmm. not for the game itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which confuses me because like <laughs> but don't you want a sweet rig with a yeah. 1080 graphics card water cooled yeah water cooler well it's why people buy pickup trucks and <laughs> and out, outfit their garages with many power tools I, yeah I mean, it's because they need the power it's also why people collect amiibo like it's not it's not a, <laughs> it's not a, it's a universal human desire is to like build and have and no, I, more I, than you know for reasons other than what it's practical for I understand that but like Feel the power. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that, but I guess I, I, what what confuses me is like I, if I wouldn't buy a console if it's the most powerful thing on the market solely because it's the most powerful thing on the market. I would buy a console because I'm interested in the games that are on there. Sure, sure. And so I suppose my ideal setup would be I have a Nintendo Switch, which I do, and a nice <laughs> computer, but I don't have a nice computer because, well, a lot of the games that I'm interested in are oftentimes on PC. Right. And you can play them better and you have mods and things those are something you should consider too or mods yeah, yeah that's a good point I've had this conversation around here about my game which uses different art styles for the different levels mm-hmm. and my philosophy on creating an avenue for players to interact with that and as someone who believes in authorial att- intent I'm a little not super comfortable with mm. just opening it up mm-hmm. um, but at the same time I'm, I would rather make it possible than like make people like fight for it yeah. if it's just going to be possible anyway like yeah. Um, you know, I'd rather do it my way rather than just like uh, make it difficult for yeah, people. If, if, that. The, if the audience kind of wants that, then like I should find a way to make what I want to say work toward that desire. Mm-hmm. And so I don't exactly know how I can approach that. Partly because again, I, it's hard for me to relate to what that. How do I uh, satisfy that desire? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I. I I'll have a hard time recognizing when I've done that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is interesting. But I mean, with vengeance, have you thought about? Like you know, letting people access uh, you know uh, like XML files that can change uh, values, just for, like like cheat modes, basically things that PC gamers are used to uh, putzing with. Um, it's not really something we've considered. Fishing you know? mods. Fishing mods. <laughs> uh, you could play as a fish instead of the mm-hmm. submarines. That'd be interesting. Um, it's not really constantly something- dying because you run out of air. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect shipping. Uh, <laughs> I want to edit in the sonic drowning noise. <laughs> um, uh, I, it's not really something we've considered because, like, uh, it's not. Well, it's not. I'm not. Like I said, I'm not a PC gamer. My brother is not a PC gamer. Mm-hmm. Lane is more of a PC gamer than both of us. Yeah. Um. But like, I don't know. We we haven't really. We're not opposed to people uh, modding the game or changing how the things look or whatever. Sure. At the end of the day, it's their game, and they can do what they want with it. Oh, for sure. Um, but uh, we're probably not going to have any specific modding tools like Steam. What's it? Not Steam Greenlight. Steam um, Workshop. Steam Workshop. Yeah. yeah. We're not going to have any of those kinds of tools because uh, we don't know how to implement them, and we don't have any desire to implement them. <laughs> you know, speaking of Steam, and another audience I don't know nothing about yeah. is um, the Steam Development Portal, uh, uh, which uh, I, I have access to now. Uh-huh. Um, really pushes those things on you. The platform specific features mm. like Workshop. Uh, inventory items like cards and like the yeah. Steam has this marketplace. I must sound like a total doddering old man now, but Steam <laughs> has this like marketplace where you can trade trading cards. Yeah. No one gets very, the trading cards. I, okay, good. Well, no, I, I thought people were were making money off of those. They did for a while. Now they yeah. they nerfed all the prices of them, so oh. they're all worth like. <laughs> 
point zero 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 one cents. Oh, yeah. really? So oh. now no one cares. Okay. I don't know. It just, like, <laughs> it just feels like a, a real economy in those things seems like not gaming anymore. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe again, maybe it's old fashioned. Well, but yeah, like, and but Steam not really to disparage people who think that they're cool. I'm sorry. <laughs> I suppose, yeah. Not me and my friends do not care. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, I don't know. It, just, yeah. it seems strange. But. but no, but Valve really does. And maybe it's just because it's their platform specific things. But like the, the impression I get is that like you get way more engagement on Steam if you do this. And like maybe that some of that is that Valve will naturally, uh, you know, like put you in their, their search algorithms. Yeah. Not on, not like, uh, you know, as a trick, but like. It's just as a result of that. That's how it's designed. Yeah. To, you're in, if it has more features, it's more valuable. Right, you check off more boxes. Yeah, and it, like part of that is it, you know, I, you can't change the way the world is, but sometimes I'm just like, I don't want to think about those things. I yeah. just don't. Yeah. Like, I'd love to like include like achievements of a kind, but like, I'm not sure how excited I am about implementing like Steam achievements. Right. I don't really <laughs> care, but maybe I cool. should. You could be like, you won with on. I don't know. <laughs> You're you so won, close. You won by killing everyone. Yeah. Or you won by mm-hmm. uh, filling out all the tiles. Yeah. Okay, here's what you do. You name uh-huh. you name an achievement, the Steven achievement. Steven achievement. Steven achievement. And what uh, Steve achievement. Steve achievement. <laughs> <laughs> Dear Lord. Um, and um when, <laughs> you have to you have to win the game, a multiplayer game, by uh, clearing all of your tiles up in a, in a multiplayer game. Yeah. That's how you do it. Okay, but like, I like it. You got to do it for a certain number of times, like uh, twenty or something. <laughs> That's the Steve. Design this for me, and I will put it in the game. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yep. Great. Maybe that's not a great example because, like, it actually, the I've looked at the SDK. It's not that hard yeah. to implement that. Um, but uh, again, it's this sort of like again, it's uh, catering to an audience that I'm not as familiar with. It's really just the main theme I keep coming back to mm-hmm. uh, with these things. Um, but, you know, uh, console gaming, and we've been talking about PC gaming mostly because that is kind of the world we live in and what we have access to, But um, or PC gaming, but console gaming is more accessible to us now than it's ever been. Um, you can self-publish on PlayStation. Um, you have to sign up with them, but, like, there's not... You kind of just have to give them a design document. Like, I'm working on a game. Uh, my understanding is they're not that difficult. You have to buy a dev kit. That's not... Easy swing for everybody, um, but you can just easily self-publish a game on PlayStation. Yeah. Um, Microsoft announced the GDC. You can self-publish with them. Uh, right. There's some requirements, some limitations there. Um, that's not quite the same as their ID at Xbox program, which is more of a curated indie selection. Yeah. And Nintendo will open up the Switch <gasps> development uh, sometime next year. I'm so, so excited. Yeah. Right, yeah. So it is. I mean, and on. because everyone's using Unity, and it, it's all it all works with that. So. Right, it's um, never been easier to put games on console, but you still have to get through the process of getting it onto the console. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a lot easier to just make a game and throw it up on itch.io. That's right, and the, the truth is, it's actually easier. Like in terms of the gatekeeping required, it's easier to publish on PlayStation than it is on Steam. Mm. But still, more it is actually easier for people to publish on Steam. Yeah, in the sense that more people do it and more people choose that avenue, it yeah. costs a lot less certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, and then but just otherwise on your own website on itch, just yeah, that makes it an awful lot easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah. Uh, if you have experience doing it on PC, then like it makes a lot of sense to just go ahead and do it. And it, I really, I really think a lot of times it just depends on what game you're trying to develop. Like with Fingence, it would be great if we could throw it up on consoles because mm-hmm. um, it's it's a couch co-op game and it's hard. Yeah. And so we would want to support that audience and we want to bring it to that audience and that audience is often on consoles. And I feel I definitely I mean I'll make this pitch to you on this show like you guys <laughs> scrape together some money to get yourself a PS4 dev kit because 
I mean, that's that's an audience that would love that. Oh, yeah, I know. I know. You know, and I don't, I think, yeah, that that should be part of your day one release plan. I'll say. Well, dang. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now we got to do all this stuff now. But a lot, I mean, a lot of the console stuff is because it is, I mean, again, it's not like, you know, uh, flip a switch easy, Mm -hmm. but it's easier than ever been. But I think a lot of the indie dev community doesn't understand that. Mm. They, They, and so you don't make the effort to move forward. I know that I've held back a little bit on some of that because I'm, I feel like it's a bigger deal than it is. Yeah. Maybe because it used to be such a big deal. You know? I see. I'm curious to hear from listeners who um, have gone through this process or have just thought about this. Like, you know, um, if you really look at like a list of this is what it takes to publish on these platforms, um, you know, does that square with how you, how you sort of think of it in your head? Because sometimes it doesn't for me. I don't realize like how few steps there really are. They're just some, some big steps and some money costing steps, <laughs> you know, for sure. But, yeah, I'm curious too. Mm-hmm. Listeners should come and let us know. Yeah. All right, that is our show. If you haven't already, subscribe to Nice Games Club in your favorite podcast app and be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or are nice like us. We super need you to know that you're out there. So leave us a review and tell all your friends too. We also hear directly from you. So follow us on Twitter and all the other things at Nice Games Club. Let us know how we're doing. Send us your topics. Ask us your questions. And give us your feedback. And where can they do that, Stephen? NiceGames.club slash feedback. Yeah, tell us what you think of the show. Uh, lastly, you can find out more about the show and your nice host, as well as get all the links and notes from this and other episodes at NiceGames.club. So, until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. Wait, no, now I've lost my train of thought. Crap. Um, edit this out, Mark. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we should just compile all these edit this out, Marks. <laughs> I'm doing that. I'm sticking them at the end of episodes. <laughs> I know. I, I noticed that. <laughs> um. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.